watchers in the fourth dimension. Just act stupid. Do you think you can manage that? Oh, I see. Destroy total destruction. Power must be conserved. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I plan to probe your physiological makeup. Ooh, ah. Uh, this episode, we are kicking off season six of Doctor Who with a serial written by the chaps who brought us both the Abominable Snowmen and the Web of Fear. With such classics under their belts, what could possibly go wrong? Well, as it transpires, quite a lot. This story has its origins, like so many others of the time, in Peter Bryant's desire to recapture the success of the Daleks, primarily for the purposes of profit. With that in mind, he approached Henry Lincoln and Mervyn Hazeman, the creators of the Yeti, to create new merchandisable monsters, giving them a six-episode commission. The two writers had realised that the one element that made the Daleks so appealing is that they don't look like a human in a suit. With that in mind, they thought up the Quarks, squat robots with childlike voices that could be fitted with various attachments depending on the needs of the story. And of course, customization results in variants of the figures to sell. To introduce their new creations, Hazeman and Lincoln wanted to get away from the action-based nature of their previous scripts and sought to explore what they considered to be the misguided pacifist philosophy of the hippie movement. As they started submitting scripts to the production office, story editor Derek Sherwin was rather unhappy with the scripts and requested that the satirical elements be toned down, which our intrepid writers promptly refused to do. This was not a good sign of things to come. By the time they submitted the script for the fourth episode, the assistant script editor Terence Dix was actively rewriting the scripts, unbeknownst to Hazeman and Lincoln. When they submitted the script for the fifth episode, Bryant asked to meet with them and inform them that while they'd be paid for all six episodes, the sixth episode would simply not be required. Bryant and Sherwin made the decision to take the original storyline for the final three episodes, condense it down into two episodes with Dix completing the rewrites, giving us a five-part serial. The spare episode would be given over to the next serial, The Mind Robber. With all of these changes, Hazeman and Lincoln were unsurprisingly unwilling to have their names associated with the story and requested that it be credited to Norman Ashby, a composite of the names of their fathers-in-law. Yet, despite all of this, relations between the writers and the production office eventually started to improve again once the scripts were complete, and by the summer of 1968, the duo actually started working on a third Yeti script which would have ultimately written out Jamie from the show, tentatively entitled The Laird of McCrimmon. However, it was only a few weeks before the relationship soured once more as both parties entered into a dispute over merchandising rights over the Quarks, and a legal battle began as to whether the copyright was owned by the writers or if the copyright was co-owned with the BBC. Things became so acrimonious that the writers threatened to go to court to prevent broadcast of the Dominators. We should have been so lucky. While a settlement was eventually reached, there was now no question of the duo ever writing for the show again, and the Laird of McCrimmon was shelved permanently. Stepping back from all of the drama with the writers, let's take a quick look at some of the other behind-the-scenes stuff. In the director's seat, we have the return of Maurice Barry, who had previously directed The Moonbase and The Tomb of the Cybermen. This is his last time behind the camera for the show, but he would actually go on to become an actor and will eventually appear in season 17's The Creature from the Pit. In terms of music, we once again have stock music. Barry Newbury returns as director for the ninth time, having previously and uh, most recently worked on The Gunfighters. And joining him as costumer, we have Martin Bohr continuing his run. So really nothing groundbreaking there, a lot of returning players. 
Anyway, with that, we move on to our short summary, which is with me this time because you all haven't heard my voice enough. Two Quasimodo cosplayers land on the peaceful world of Dulcis with only one goal in mind. Actually, two goals in mind. Possibly enslaving its population and definitely turning the planet into a ball of radioactive lava to power their ship. All well assisted by robots that were meant to replace the Daleks. It'll never work. Naturally, it's up to our intrepid heroes to save the day. Additionally, one of those two dominators has a penchant for wanting to destroy people before being told by his superior they don't have enough energy. Rumour has it that the BBC were thinking about destroying their story in their archives purge, but after giving it one last watch, the powers that be just didn't have the energy to get off the sofa. That's all I got. Let's talk about the story. That does sum up the story. <laughs> How come we get all these serials where we're missing episodes and we come across this one and we have all of the episodes. Because the universe is a cruel, unfeeling place. <sighs> Speaking of which, before we get into the actual plot, did anyone around this time, you know, go to check in our, on Martin Bow and see if he was okay? Were there problems at home? <laughs> so he actually gave an interview around this, specifically around the Quarks, where he talks about them being examples of him not fully thinking through the construction challenges that his designs would pose. Before we even get to them, because I think we should hold them off until the very end of okay. at least this part, much like they did when they held back showing them as if they had something to show. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking about the men in towel dresses to start uh, and the turtle seashell thing on the dominators, as they're apparently yep. called. Yep. Costuming. Yeah. Very interesting. I celebrated the costuming in season five. If this is a highlight of season six, then I'm sorry. I'm not going to have the same response. Well, Martin Bohr is on his way out. This is his second to last story. And I don't know what happened with the Dominators and the Dulcians. Dulcians. It was very distracting. Let me just put it that way. It was extremely distracting because it started me going, what the hell? And it just stayed that way through the entire first episode. The robes are so long. It's just so impractical. They lose an entire capacity of one of their arms just to drape over all their robes. And that's for the ones that have the full robes. And then you got yeah. the others who are wearing your short skirts. And I think part of it was just Jamie has been flashing the doctor half this time. So we need to have <laughs> other people flashing other people. So I, I guess. <laughs> Don has questions. I do. Why are the Dominators dressed like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Why are the Dolcites dressed in, wearing dresses? And also, why is one of them played by, looks like Roy Kinnear? So strange. <laughs> oh, Roy Kinnear. Uh, oh. The whole thing. Even I, I knew that I might be in trouble, and I was, when we got our first special effects shots of the Dominator craft coming down. And I'm like, oh, 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 at least you tried. Here, They're there you so go. cute. I actually liked them. I, was I thought that was convinced. some fairly neat model work to begin with. The model work, yes. I'm talking about the actual shot of uh, it landing. Yeah. But okay, I will tell you something fair. that I almost liked. Almost. This will probably be the end of my praise for this serial. Where we spend a pretty good chunk of the first episode getting to know Cully. Was that his name? Yes. And his group of teenage people, including someone I want to nominate for the camp count. Ooh. <laughs> the taller, skinny dude that sounded like he was late to the orgy. He was very <laughs> camp, and it kind of made me laugh. But we spent a big chunk of time getting acquainted with these people. 
and then they just all get blown up. And that would have been so much better if they hadn't gone ahead and, and blown the reveal of the Dominators. They could essentially have the same conversation twice before they blow them up and afterwards. I had a comment here and it says, I learned their names and then they died. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get too far into the story, Don, you mentioned the two actors who played the Dominators. I do just want to preface this with a quote from Morris Barry, the director, who said about this story, and I quote, I think the best things about the Dominators were Kenneth Ives and Ronald Allen, the actors playing the title characters. They were brilliant, but apart from them, I didn't think it was a very good serial at all. And that's from the director. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> yeah. It's not very good. I think from an acting perspective, I think they were great. They did what they needed to do. They had that dichotomy going on. Good cop, bad cop thing. If you can even call it that, because they're both dominators. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Is dominators going to become the, the weed joke of this it's episode? <laughs> it was obviously going to happen. You know what? It's not even that for me. It's that, okay, your race is not called the dominators. You made that up. You did not come from Domina or whatever. <laughs> that was clearly thought up by the marketing department. Or maybe as just a race of people, maybe they just wanted to have a really you know badass name. Like, Seriously. You know, like Sting calling himself but, Sting. Could I mean, be. obviously the Dominators and the Ward need to get together because I think there's some fetishes going on and I think they would get along fabulously. <laughs> I think you're right. But I think if they had reversed that, if they had been called the Quark or Quarks, and the robots were called the Dominators, it would make some kind of sense because a Dominator yeah. is a function. It's not the name of a people. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I did get the impression that maybe Dominator was the rank because I thought I heard something and maybe I misheard it, that the second one, uh, there was Rego and Toba. Toba was like a trainee dominator or something like that probationary dominator something along probator those lines. and navigator how do you like my my dominating please call this number <laughs> after that little group that we got to know gets killed eight minutes into the episode our heroes actually show up and it's wonderful because the doctor pulls out a beach chair and a blow up volleyball and they're gonna have so much fun i did like the continuity he complains about being tired from mental projection and of course that's where we left them at the end of the wheel in space he was projecting the story from the evil of the daleks so he's tired from that which i kind of love i'm sure that was exhausting I did like the beach ball, though. There was some good comic timing around that. Just as the Doctor's talking about how peaceful the planet is, the Dominators immediately blow up the, I'd want to say spacecraft, the, the watercraft that the Dulcians arrived on the island in. Mm -hmm. so, and, and then they discover the nuclear test site and the war museum. And it's like, oh, well, maybe it's not so peaceful. This story is going differently to how the Doctor expected. Very convenient that they landed in the one place on the planet that had a war museum. The one place on the planet called Death Island. Yes. That's oh, bit melodramatic. As conveniently, we meet another group of random Dalsians who look very similar to the others. Yeah, I even note that they have a replacement hot blonde. They do. I mean, they had one in the first group. They've got one in the second group. I mean, it, it's very mix and match. Women don't take a lot of priority in this uh, serial. No. That's what I noticed. No one really does. No one really takes priority in here. Although Zoe did get some good moments. She got to be smart. Yes. 
Oh, before we move too further on, Don, you mentioned the camp counts. I do want to call out that the quarry quarry goes up mm-hmm. by two because this was filmed in two different quarries. Oh, so it, it oh. wasn't just one quarry. It was two, and one of them was the exact same quarry that we had for the Tomb of the Cybermen. Ah, double quarry domination action. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> and that's my TED Talk, your quarry facts for yes. the episode. <laughs> Welcome to the quarry cast. <sighs> Uh, oh boy. Did anyone find it kind of unusual and strange that when there was a, it looked like it was a studio shot, and what, it does not look like it was a location shot, where the Dominators are speaking at the entrance to their spaceship. And for some reason, at least my streaming, the resolution looked so good. It like looked like the crispest picture I had seen on Doctor Who up to that point. And I was like, did they change the cameras this season? I, I would like to find out because it was shocking. And what was so strange is that no other like studio shot you know, were as crisp as that. It was so unusual. Did anyone else notice that? No. <laughs> maybe it was just, no. maybe, I have, maybe I have bad Wi-Fi and that just happened to come through good. And now I'm just like, oh, that, that was it. All right, Riley's got to go back and rewatch everything now. <laughs> It's so much clearer, my God. <laughs> if I recall, we had some parts of the Tomb of the Cybermen that were similar, and I think that was just Morris Barry liked to use, and I, I might be misspeaking and completely imagining this, but if I recall correctly, he liked to use film in places where other directors may have not used film interviews videotape. So that mm. wouldn't entirely surprise me if maybe there were a couple of shorter shots that were studio-based that he did do on film. You might be onto something. In my head canon, Riley's been watching old episodes of Zed Cars this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the actor who was uh, Toba was in Zed Cars at one of point. Of course he course. was. <laughs> <sighs> they all are. One day we'll get to a point where there's a serial where one person was not in Zed Cars. Yeah, that day isn't coming anytime soon. But we will celebrate it when it does. <laughs> yeah. So I know we've touched on the quarks before, but I think they're adorable. Absolutely. They are not menacing at all, but I love them. I hate and them. And their voices are great. I hate them so much. <laughs> oh my God. They are so inappropriate for the story oh, that they're in. No, you're not wrong. But, but I love them. For something interesting, the word robot turned 100 years old this year. What? Oh. I will not derail us too much further with that. Other interesting things, our hero is a middle-aged balding guy who's the son of a really old boring guy. So that's yeah. neat. Just touching on, on the first appearance of the quarks, I do actually like that shot of the two quarks on the top of the hill in the quarry being joined by the Dominator. That I actually thought was quite good. There was like that zoom effect from below. Yep. I thought that was mm-hmm. a piece of really, really good direction. But then we hear them speak and they sound ridiculous and that's <gasps> somehow our cliffhanger. Yeah. On to episode two. While some other things were lacking, I think some of the set design was pretty good because I really actually liked the Dominator screens. I don't understand how you could actually tell any information off of them, but I like them from a looks perspective. The super trippy psychedelic control panels? Yes. They had some nice drawings that you could see, I think, when they were standing in front of it that were supposed to represent circuitry or something, I guess. I thought that was nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did well with set design. I actually thought there were some cool concepts in the Dominator's spaceship. The way that the Doctor and Jamie were kind of bound to the wall. 
early in the episode. I liked that a lot. This is the episode where they get pushed up on the wall and then they do that little camera editing where it seems to be that Jamie gets pushed on the wall and then slid down onto a table beyond his control, which I thought was a cute little trick. It wasn't like, you know, well executed, but it was a cute little trick. And they mentioned Jamie only has one heart. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie gets probed. (laughs) By the Dominators after being bound to the wall. I just want to save Jamie this whole time. I was like, I want to save you. You'll all be fine. But for me, the big thing was the one guy just wanting everyone dead. It got really obnoxious really fast. It's because it was every scene. Them having this, I want to kill. Don't kill people. We don't have the power. I am going to kill people. They insulted my puppy. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) Repeat for five episodes. By episode five, we definitely know how it's going. He's going to show up, try and start killing people. The other one will show up and be like, stop. It's like, we're, we're blowing the planet up, okay? They're going <laughs> to die. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the more and more that you bother these people, the more and more they kill your quarks. So like, if you just ignored them, you could actually get your shit done. Okay, if you're a planet conquering people and the planet you get defeated on is inhabited by these dull passive stupid old men that would rather not do anything in case they make a mistake if that's where you lose every other planet is immediately gonna go oh my god these guys suck and your empire is done (laughs) yep yep Speaking of the people who are completely dull, they kind of reminded me of the Guardians in the Ark. But worse. But worse. Yeah. But, you know, just that kind of level of like, we're going to stand around in togas and try and be incredibly nice, but really do nothing except put ourselves in danger. They weren't all that nice. They were. They were kind of jerks. Yeah, because he had Kali, who was different from everyone else, and apparently being different from everyone else and having ideas is a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And there were jerks about it. I don't see how their civilization could have advanced to the point that it did, or that they ever actually developed nuclear anything. Yeah. I think what happened is I think they had done all of that technological advance before all that and then hit this peak or something and then that's when they turned passive. I guess, but they just have no motivation and it's I I understand what they were trying to make fun of, oh the peace loving pacifist hippies. Hippies weren't like that. They did stuff, they were just nonviolent. These guys were just complete passive characters. They'll just let whatever happen to them. And I do want to touch briefly on on the hippies. This was broadcast at exactly the same time that the peace protesters were being beaten by the cops at the Chicago protest that was going on at the same time as the, the Democratic National Convention in the US. So you literally had police brutality against the people that this is meant to be making fun of. It was very, very tone deaf. Just, just wrong-headed. Yeah. yeah. The Dominator's testing of the Doctor and Jamie was pretty funny, though, where he has to put together a very easy child puzzle. But, you know, to yeah. make it challenging, we're going to electrocute you because that'll test your intelligence. <laughs> I call it the pain puzzle or the gom jabar. <laughs> <laughs> but they did have their copy of Excel 1.0 showing stuff up on one of their screens. I think it, I can't remember if that was the Dominators or the or boring people, but the dullards. After that scene, did Jamie give him smelling salts? I must have missed that. Okay, it looked like he did, which I was like, one, does he have them? Two, I didn't think the shocks were that bad, and it's just strange. It's fine. If he did, it was in a spore, and it's okay. What I did like is we did get a little drop of nasty little beasties in there. 
<laughs> I was cracking up at the doctor referring to the rest of the population as the clever ones. And Jamie saying, everybody always wants me to shut up. Oh, and did we also notice that the women's clothing for the Dulcians were very revealing? Yes, especially yep. for a second blonde girl. Yeah. Yes. They had to make replacement hot blonde look her best, obviously. I just sat there Jesus. looking at it and I was like, this is what they have their women wearing, but they're pacifi- I, I, It just it weirded me out. I didn't like Zoe's replacement outfit, though. I thought her oh. original outfit looked much better and was much more suited for her. But she had to fit in. She did, because... <laughs> and then she was complaining about the sandals, or was it the sandals? Yeah. Or just, yeah, just the impracticality of the mm. outfit. This is just clearly not Mr. Boar's finest hour. No, it was, it was kind no. in that case, it looked like a bathing suit with some weird thing sort of put over it. I mean, I think from here we just get rinse and repeat. Destroy, no, don't destroy, we don't have the power. Cliffhanger. Episode three, where the High Council has a you know groundbreaking uh, discovery when one of one of them comes walking in and tells them you know this is top tier analysis. We have three options: fight, flee, or submit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he came in there to you know inform them of this. <laughs> when he first came in, I thought, okay, he's going to have something to say. Like, oh, he's he's their version of Captain Obvious. Great. They're just such wet blankets. I mean, it's it gives it, it it got to a point with them and that and with the High Council, it was borderline to a point of just I I I think it was around episode five, yeah, it was the very last episode where no 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 it was episode four where we came back to them again just for them to sit yeah. around and talk about nothing and I just just dying laughing I was like. I had completely forgotten they even existed in this story because they've done nothing. Like, There's they're contributing nothing nope. to the story. And it makes everyone so upset. Like Jamie gets so mad. He's like, Really, you guys are just gonna sit here and do nothing? Like this is utterly ridiculous. It it reminded me of the Simpsons joke about uh Ned Flanders' father, who was a beatnik, and he, you know, <laughs> says, We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> That's basically them. <laughs> Oh, that's I mean, good. They're just such bureaucratic morons. It's like, well, we've talked about this. Now we need to go and send this to a committee and they'll send it to a subcommittee and eventually we'll bring it back up to this council to decide, but maybe we'll need to send it back to committee after that again. Like, guys. Which is so funny because this was supposed to be an attempt to criticize like the peace movement. It's so funny because the structure that they're depicting is anything but <laughs> the peace movement at the time in the 60s would be very much against the idea of this type of bureaucracy of old men sitting around just talking and not having anyone else's voice heard. And it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, this story should never have been made. No. 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 So there's a, a staging thing that I actually thought was kind of amusing, which our replacement group of three people has been taken over by the Dominators and been put into slavery and they're being tested, right? Yeah. And you've got Kali mm -hmm. and Zoe just standing there discussing their plans, not doing anything, and each of the individual people comes by and drops a line and then disappears. Yeah. And it was just like, that's really oddly staged. It's it's almost a comedy, but I don't know, it's just weird to me. Yeah. I almost wonder whether Morris Barry was deliberately sabotaging the story after he saw the script. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see that. As what happens in, in some of these serials, especially when we have robots and other things that make weird noises, 
Rumble was concerned about some of the noises the quarks made. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. Uh, to be honest, I think we all were fairly concerned about some of the yes. noises that the quarks make. Then when they spoke, it does sound like a dog squeaky toy a little bit sometimes, so that may have yep. attracted them. They were really difficult to make out for sometimes, me. I'm like, yes. wait, what? Yeah. Unless it was like just one or two words, they were, they were kind of tedious to listen to. So fun fact about them, inside each one was a child. <sighs> they use children to operate them. They feed a child to them because that would be... <laughs> <laughs> so I did have a comment where Toba is going to definitely break at some point. He's just going to like fly off the rails because like after three episodes of why can't I kill these people... He's going to have that breakdown. But he keeps trying, and he got so excited when he had the quarks destroy the nuclear shelter. I mean, he was just positively gleeful. In my notes, that final line that's part of the cliffhanger where Toba's going, destroy, total destruction. I've just got, okay, so what are the odds that Rego will just turn up and tell him off? Yeah, oh, no, 100%. Coming. And then as we move into episode four. Well, no, 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 no. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. So you have Jamie and the doctor in the capsule. I knew it. Going back. Oh my gosh. First, the look on the doctor's face when Jamie brought up the point that the quark was going to be waiting for them at the end of their little journey. It was wonderful. It was priceless. I loved it. And then just the dynamics that they had, the doctor trying to like mess with all the wires. And then Jamie just like sitting there like, doctor, why are you climbing all over me? This is so weird. I was like, this is great. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful moment with Jamie and the doctor. It is just the further proof that that dynamic between Troughton and Fraser Hines is just spectacular. And I think they are probably the best duo we've had on the show so far and probably will ever have. Very true. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just had to bring that up. No, rightly so. That's like a highlight for me because so much of the rest of this is utter nonsense that that was just fun. Yeah, and as we move into episode four, of course, Toba gets chewed out by Rego. I have Toba gets his performance review. <laughs> <laughs> Will he ever be promoted to full dominator? What are your weaknesses? Wanting to destroy things all the time. <laughs> I do not listen and I want to blow things up. But enough about me, let's get back to the cereal. <laughs> let's get back to the cereal. So now we get Jamie and Cully together, and I think this is another time where if they wanted to have a big finish story, I could get behind a Jamie and Cully episode or two. Once again, big finish, are you listening? Free <laughs> <laughs> ideas for you. Julie mentioned her highlight was the Doctor and Jamie in the capsule. I think my highlight was Coley and Jamie. I, I liked that little duo. I really enjoyed their battle plans that they apparently took from Wiley Coyote <laughs> to attack the corpse. <laughs> I also enjoyed Jamie saying, take this, you wee tin kettle. It was fun. It, it really like gave me something to liven up other than just the drudgery of Cutting back to the council, the dominators having an intermarital squabble. It was, I was just glad that there was like something joyful to carry us through on what is usually like the slower parts of a longer serial. Yeah, I think episodes four and five benefit from the fact that they are three episodes condensed down into two, at least story-wise, which cuts out some of the padding we would normally get in a six-parter. Yeah. Yep. Particularly around the episode four mark. And because I have to bring it up every single time that it happens, I'm sorry, everybody, but this is the point in which Coley looks up Jamie's kilt. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <sighs> we knew it was coming. <laughs> 
when someone wears a kilt for three seasons, it's gonna get brought up. <laughs> I w- I might want to rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Don. You're welcome. Ah, uh, so. Where do we even go from here? Uh, I mean, this is just so monotonous and arguing and, and slavery and more drilling. There, there's a lot of drilling in this oh, Dominator serial. There's drilling, which you know, I was like, "What in the world are we doing the drilling for?" So there was that. I think the big thing is like, does the doctor? I think it was the doctor. Does he just keep a Geiger counter in his pocket? I mean, I think he has transcendental pockets at this point. So he has he has Mary Poppins pockets. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay. I mean, they eventually combined all that kind of stuff into the sonic screwdriver. But yeah, yeah. at this point, it's still right. mostly used for screwing things in and unscrewing things. Is it this episode or the last episode where we finally find out what the Dominators are actually doing? It's the next episode. Okay, I have thoughts on that. Yep. So anyway. I think we just end with unnecessary killing and like one of the councilmen, the youngest one, got killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was kind of yeah. nice because, okay, I, I will admit I did enjoy it when our, our primary a-hole, Ragu or whatever his name is, goes into the council <laughs> and just basically starts slapping him around. <laughs> yeah. He, the dominator is dominating that was at that point. at least kind of amusing. One thing I noticed about his character, at least when he was dealing with Toba, and he, he, I think he did it a little bit with the council, is he wouldn't look at people. He was always yeah. looking off somewhere else. The actor who plays Rago, Ronald Allen, I think he's very, very, very good. And we'll see him again in a different role next season. But I, I think he's outstanding here. I agree. It's an interesting choice. I was just wondering if anyone else noticed that where he just... No, I definitely noticed that. It's like he doesn't care. They don't deserve his attention. Yeah. Thinking about Don's comment, maybe that's what they should have named the serial, The A-Holes. <laughs> that would have been more appropriate. <laughs> so one moment of laughter that Toba did give me during this episode was where he refers to Jamie as the other stupid one. <laughs> I, this, that just really tickled me because, you know, the Doctor and Jamie convincing them that there were two races on the planet called the stupid ones and the clever ones. <sighs> that tickled me all through it. And they, they just, oh, such poor research on the part of the Dominators. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we have another ending with someone actually getting destroyed by Toba this time round. And the Doctor's next cliffhanger, and we know how this is going to turn out on the other side of the cliffhanger. So let's talk about episode five, if we must. Yes, we must. This is where I believe Jamie and Cully you know, <laughs> move on and now start using Kevin McAllister-style <laughs> warfare <laughs> on the corks. Yes. Well, his plan to catch it in a sheet, but then he mm-hmm. actually trips it, sits on it, and then covers it with a sheet. Right. So, you know. Oh, no. Sheets. The quark's one weakness. <laughs> Just needed the tarantula, the iron, and the Christmas ornaments, and we're all ready to go. I really wish I counted how often Rago tells off Toba in this story for wanting to destroy stuff. I mean, we've got it at least on two occasions in this episode. I mean, there's, there's the re- resolution to the cliffhanger, then after Jamie takes out a quark... And it's at that point that Rago makes the point that Don already made of they will die with their planet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been told off at least a dozen times. It's not just that he's been told off, is that it's like you're endangering our mission. You're going to win a small scale battle with the people of this planet and you're going to completely destroy the reason we came here for. Just stop it. And he just keeps doing it. I love how you can look like on their spaceship 
they have like a little uh, screen on their screen. It's like each time a court gets knocked oh, yeah. off, it kind of disappears on the screen. Like, we're running out of quarks. What are you doing this to us? Like they were planning for that. It reminds me in all those, you know, sci-fi shows where, you, you know, like in Star Wars, you got your X-Wings and it's like, oh no, another X-Wings being destroyed. Yeah, I was thinking it was maybe because of the the time period and the you know, the quality of the sets. It looked like a Price is Right pricing game. Like, oh, how 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 many quarks are going to die because you guessed that this tube of toothpaste was this much instead of this much? That said, there is that moment when Toba is about to order search and destroy and stops himself because he knows he's going to get told off. And then there's also the moment where Rego is like, "Okay, screw this. I'm going to go destroy Jamie and Carly. Toba, you keep drilling." I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. And we get that moment where Jamie is like, I have an idea and then no one wants to listen to him. And he's like, but no, I actually legitimately have a good idea for Jamie. But he did have a good idea. Yeah. And the idea was? Was that? The, uh, I sorry. Uh, I didn't actually write that. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I just wrote down, <laughs> Jamie is right. Yay. <laughs> so it was to catch the seed device on its way yes. down the, oh, the yeah. mine shaft. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because, okay, all right, hang on. Okay. We've seen that before. We've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, it was in a, a much better serial. By now, I think we know their plan. Yes. In the last episode, amidst all this serial's other problems, it has a structural issue. There's no sense of stakes because we don't even know what they're mm-hmm. doing until the very end. So there's no tension of, oh my goodness, we've got to stop them. It's something we learn about during the last part of the last serial. So it's just, it's just another thing. Yeah, that's, that's a very yeah. good point. Also, you power your ships from literally blowing up other planets. Yeah, they, they used the residual radiation somehow. I, I think there was a line in there about it being the radioactive dust, which made a little yeah. bit of sense. Yeah, but... it's, that's pretty dumb. You could market that. Go to planets that have been irradiated, like Scaro, for example, or perhaps one that's not infested with Daleks. Tell them, hey, we'll clean up your planet. <laughs> we get energy, plus you pay us. Normally, I think they did do that. And then when they landed on Death Island, they were like, oh, we got some radiation. And then they were like, eh, not enough. Let's blow up this thing. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't mind their plan. I didn't think it was the worst idea but yeah i guess from a timing perspective they should have kind of dropped that in like episode two or three up until that point there was this comedy skit made in the early 2000s with mark gatiss as the doctor and david williams as a generic bad guy and he kind of knocks on the tardis door and and the doctor comes out and goes yes hello he's like ah doctor yes what do you want i'm bad i want you to stop me (laughs) and that's basically this story Until we finally find out what they're doing in episode five. That sounds much, much better. Yes. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can dig that out and I'll put that in the show notes uh, on iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcast from. So as they're digging the tunnel, Jamie and Coley go back out to cause some more havoc and the doctor gives him handheld bombs. (laughs) Like, is this a great idea? Yeah, the story ends up being fairly heavy on slapstick in the end, and I think giving bombs to someone who really shouldn't have Anthony, is part of it. I am so disappointed in you. The only proper response was "Sounds like an ace plan to me." Sounds like an ace plan to me. There you go, you seventh Doctor fanboy. <laughs> to be fair, at this point, I'm not wanting to associate this with good Doctor Who. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
watch as this team savages me in four years when we get to the seventh doctor. <laughs> Are the question marks really necessary? Anyway. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's not go there right now. <laughs> so they catch the C device thing and then they're like freaking out. They're like, all right, we got it. Yay, everything is good. And then they're like, oh, crap. It's still going to blow up. What do we do? And I immediately was like, I know what they should do with it. And the doctor and I had the same idea. Yep, my notes say he's clearly going to put it on the Dominator's ship. Surprise, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> that was the only only resolution you could possibly have. And then we have our, our comedy ending where the Doctor once again doesn't realize, oh wait, the thing that I caused to happen is happening. Before that, he even gets uh, stuck in the doors of the Dominator's spaceship briefly, you know, just to add to the comedy of the entire story. But to be fair, I love the actual end credits with the lava. Like, yeah. it's a little yeah. silly in that it still happened because all the other devices had gone off with the drills, but I like lava end credits. <laughs> Before we wrap up this last episode, it was in this episode in particular that I found something very enjoyable that would almost make me consider watching the serial again. That is, mm. if you consider it, if you change the viewpoint, if maybe you rewrote the script completely, which of course would help it. Uh, <laughs> From one viewpoint, this story is like a slasher film where a Scotsman and a man in a dress kill off corks one by one, <laughs> like camp counselors. I agree with Riley on one thing. If you completely rewrote this and it was something else entirely, it would be pretty good. <laughs> there is a little bit of a joke around the seed device in that it's a joke around a military prescription laxative, but that somehow gets lost in translation. But the story basically revolves with a diarrhea joke, with the laxative causing the volcanic eruption. How appropriate. That fits the serial very well. <laughs> you had to end it with a poop joke? Yeah, you yeah. gotta lead with the poop jokes, Riley. <laughs> Come out strong. All right, let's rate this. Don, we'll start with you this time around. Oh, oh goody. I have a lot to say about this story, but we're a family-friendly podcast, so I'll have to censor myself. <laughs> you know, if season six is our final with Troughton and Jamie, if it were a party, this serial would be the turd in the punch bowl. Quark this story. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Quark this mother corking story right in the a-hole. I don't like it. It is ill-conceived, ill-executed, and it really just irritated me. So, on the other hand, it exists, and it is not a base under siege story, and there are a couple of good things in there, just little character moments. So, because the way I grade these things, it's kind of a split between how good I think the initial idea is, how it's executed, and my overall enjoyment, I'm going to have to give this serial 1.5 upraised fingers out of 10. <laughs> nice. All right, Julie, you're next. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's not great. <laughs> you got the annoying Toba who just keeps repeating himself over and over and over again. And therefore, Rego goes and says the same thing over and over and over again. The best parts, since that'll be quicker. Jamie and the Doctor in the capsule. And Jamie and Cully just killing off all of your quirks. I think the comedy beats work. And that's about all that works in this story. So I'm probably going to give it 2 out of 10 beach balls. Okay. Riley, over to you. I feel that we're all in agreement. I just don't know if I am 
as negative. I am negative. I don't know if I am as negative as everyone else is. It's generic. It's completely generic. It's very, very dull. We've already discussed the quirks, more adorable than terrifying. The domineers are incredibly two-dimensional. And as Don mentioned earlier, we don't really know what their plan is until the very, very end. Now, I thought about this and I said, maybe the reason, and I, and I feel like this has happened on the show before, when we get a new companion, they like to do a really bare bones story in order to help the new companion, like truly like get accustomed, I mean, for the audience to get accustomed to the new companion. And maybe that's what they were trying to do here, but I feel like Zoe deserved more screen time if that was what the intention was, and she didn't. So, I mean, there just isn't anything remarkable here, but in the end, it's still more Doctor and Jamie. It does fully exist. I kind of wonder if this would be better or worse if it was missing episodes, if we would rate it worse because we couldn't see what was going on. I, it's confusing, but it didn't annoy me as much as everyone else, but it's obviously not very good. So I give it four still debating pacifism councils out of 10. Wow, that's surprisingly high. So <laughs> over to me. And I mean, I've already expressed some of my complaints about this. I think it was poorly conceived with the amount of script interference that they had. They should have just scrapped the whole thing, but I guess they would commissioned it and committed to paying the two. So they were going to try and make the best of it. It's repetitive. It's not biting satire like they meant it to be. It's it's just not good. And I think Julie made a good point in that the relationship between the second Doctor and Jamie and, and the double act of Troughton and, and Fraser Hines is the best thing about it. And that's worrying when your story is entirely relying on that. And I have a theory that this was the story that drove Troughton to say that he wouldn't return for a fourth season because it was just that terrible. I did not enjoy this one at all. It's not a story I'd seen many times before. I think I've maybe only seen it once, maybe twice before. And it's just not good. So for me, this is, I'm with Julie, this is two attempts at destroying out of 10, which means this story has an average between the four of us of 2.38, which makes it the worst Doctor Who story we have covered to date. It was worse than the smugglers? Yes. That didn't, don't get me wrong, that didn't do well, but that got 3.25. That got some benefit of the doubt too, because the episodes didn't exist. This, its crappiness was on display. Yeah, the only one of us who actually didn't rate this lower than we rated the smugglers was me, and I rated them exactly the same. But yeah, we have a new least popular story. But with that, that is the end of our show this time around. We will be back next time when we tackle one of the most avant-garde stories that the show has done to date in the form of the mind robber. In the meantime, thank you for listening and have a good one. Listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Replacement Hot Blonde, was recorded on Wednesday, the 13th of January, 2021. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. You can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, if the story is going to be terrible, it might be worth scrapping entirely, no matter how much money has already been invested.